you have to have a level of delusion <laughs> you're in this business just so you don't lose heart so I definitely would say that consistency being clear on your investment thesis and just being really true and authentic to yourself Hello and welcome to the Female Foundry 3.0 podcast. On this podcast, we share engaging and inspiring stories from female entrepreneurs, investors and innovators that are shaping the Web 3.0 future. Tune in. Here is our host, investor, serial entrepreneur and technology enthusiast, Agata Norica. Hi, everyone. Today I'm speaking with Yvonne Nagava, the founding partner of Black Seat, an emerging VC fund based in London. Hi, Yvonne. It's great to have you join the 3.0 podcast. Thank you for having me. Could you introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm Yvonne and I'm part of the founding team at Black Seed. Black Seed is a fund and a community and we seed black founders. Great. Last month, you announced the first close of your inaugural 10 million fund. Could you tell us more about your investment thesis and where the idea behind Black Seed came from? We existed pre-seed and we seed second tech enabled businesses. One of the founders had to self-identify as black in order to receive our funding. And the reason why we were quite intentional about that was the stats and the disparity um, in terms of funding going towards black founders from VC funding. Mm -hmm. So we felt that that was necessary. We're industry agnostic, but as long as the business is tech and tech enabled, tech enabled, they um, are viable for us to um, take a look at. And what's your geographical focus? So for the first fund, we kind of had to pay homage to our, our home ground. So the first fund has got a UK remit. Mm-hmm. And then for the second and subsequent funds, we do look to have a global presence. But for the first one, UK. Yeah. And in terms of the ticket size, just to close off this this question. 200k tickets pounds for approximately 10% equity, depending on the stage of the business. Mm-hmm. So I know that you started your career in law. What led you to start Black Seed? That's a bit of a story. So um, I did study law and for, I guess, maybe the past seven years, I spent most of my career in legal and compliance, mm-hmm. most recently at Bloomberg. Um, but at the time, it was a bit of a disparity. I grew up in Brixton, which is an area in South London, and we grew up pretty working class. Mm-hmm. But I had a good job in the city, so social mobility was on the path for me but it didn't feel like it was for my family. So I was thinking of ways that I could bridge that. And I got into property investing. Brixton, like many cities within Europe, was going through like a wave of gentrification. Yeah. So a lot of redevelopments. One of the co-founders, Carl Locko, he was advocating at the time for office space that was going up in Brixton. Mm-hmm. And I had a gripe with that <laughs> because <laughs> I was trying to buy a property in Brixton and I felt like this office space was going to make it even more expensive and more impossible for people like me mm. to get onto the property ladder in Brixton. So I was very vocal and I was at all of the protests okay. <laughs> and he caught wind. He basically brought me up to speed on the value add of this office space and how it would actualize our ambitions of making Brixton the home of black tech and the black Silicon Valley, as you might have seen in some of the headlines. Mm. And I got to a stage where I felt like more change happens when you are sat in the room where the decisions are being made yeah. in opposed to angrily protesting against against them so I had proximity in that instance and I felt like you know what this black seed thing it does seem like a good proposition however I can help let me know Mm -hmm. so I would work on the side of my desk helping out with black seed six months rolled out and I was like you know what I need to make a decision left my jobs and then joined black seed full-time oh amazing so how did you meet Cyril, your second founding partner? I actually met Cyril through Carl. Their mm-hmm. um, interaction was quite interesting. So Cyril, he did a stint in the States. Mm-hmm. So he was able to race successfully in Texas, mm-hmm. um, but he decided to move back to the UK where he was originally from. A hundred VCs took part in 10 of the country's top accelerator programs and was unable to raise even a penny. Knowing that Carl's got um, a very dark black book, I mean, just the colouring Carl's black book, 
I mean, Richard Branson's god grandkids are his godchildren, and he's been invited to every royal wedding in the last decade. I mean, he's an anomaly, oh, yeah. especially as a Brixton boy. It just doesn't happen. Reached out to Carl. Carl made a few phone calls to his friends, essentially, and they were able to get Cyril's business seeded. And then it was the online execution of George Floyd. They were able to move the needle, but Carl asks like how many black founders are raising and like struggling. Everyone, everyone that I've met is struggling to raise. Mm. They had to make that decision of whether they moved it on a micro scale for the two of them or on a macro scale for the black community at large. So that's how Black Seed essentially um, came to materialization. Amazing, amazing story. And you can see how the timing and kind of being in the right time and also macro events also thankfully helped you on this on this journey to bring that momentum and interest in what you've been doing. There are some, at least some positive side effects of, of what was happening at that time. I know that Black Seed, and you've mentioned it earlier, is not only a fund, it's also a community. Could you talk about that? Uh, what role does community play at Black Seed today? A huge role. So from inception and internally, we refer to it as Black Seed Fund and Black Seed Ventures. And we kicked off Black Seed Ventures from inception before we had registered the company. And that's where we just convene and host events. So we collaborated with the likes of DeepMind, Google Startups, um, then Silicon Valley Bank, Goldman Sachs, and just to convene the Black founder community. So we would host monthly events at volume. And it was a way where Black founders could cross-pollinate, share ideas. I mean, it's such an isolating journey being a founder, yeah. our flagship events being Lions. Den, and it's a spin-off on Dragon's Den, but Carl's son's called Lion, so we named it after him. Basically a pitch event where founders will come and pitch for um, £10,000 equity free. And I mean, wherever you put the flag up and say, we are offering money, founders will come. So we get hundreds of applications for those events. And it's just been a great way for us to interact with founders. Yeah, great. So do you still run those events? How does your community look like today? Yes, so we're still running those events, very much so keeping those flagship events because they're, yeah, they're awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Would they be able to come or <laughs> it's only for black founders? Everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome, even if it is just to come and hear the pitching. I mean, it's such a vibrant atmosphere. Also release certain misconceptions they have about ownership. What we found is that there tends to be a bit of a mistrust I would say we have this tagline called where tech meets culture. So we bring in people from the culture, bringing people from VC and tech. There's certain things and ideas that we're able to share, like introducing ideas about leveraging other mm -hmm. people's money and how important that is for like scaling a business. And ultimately, it's worth more having a part of the watermelon than all of the grape and just educating a lot of the founders on that piece too. Yeah, definitely. I definitely follow the same ethos. So just moving to your fundraising, could you tell us how long did it take you from that idea stage, uh, just thinking about setting up your fund to the first close? Um, so we started raising, it was Q2 of 2021. And at that point, there was the chorus of commitments from corporates um, on their DNI initiatives and how they would support. So people were willing to have conversations and it was that partial lockdown. People had a lot of time, so it was good for us. And quite surprisingly, we were able to raise the money quite quickly. Mm -hmm. What was challenging was the back office stuff. So getting the regulatory pieces in place, the legals. I mean, VC, it's not a space for people that look like us, essentially. I mean, if you're not a cashed out entrepreneur or you don't have the bank of mum and dad, it's a closed environment. It's difficult for you to even just engage in this space. We were having to raise money without paying ourselves. It's a full-time job, but you just, mm. there's no salary for it until you close the fund. It was last month um, that we were able to reach first close officially, which was such a relief for all of us. And we're so excited to finally be able to like back the founders. Mm -hmm. 
And so how difficult was it for LPs to buy into your vision of backing black founders being an opportunity with high returns? I feel like we were fortunate, well, at least with the LPs that we've got on, on board, where our visions aligned and our values aligned. I think one of the more frustrating things that I found was this question about whether there is a pipeline. Mm. And I think people struggle to believe in what they've not seen. So they might not have as many reference points of black unicorns, for instance. And opposed to looking at it as a funding issue, they've looked at it as as a pipeline issue I see. and it's a chicken and the egg they, they can't see. exist unless they get funded so I think those conversations we found quite painful like constantly having to say that there are tons of founders with viable propositions that should be funded so it was those conversations that I found quite difficult yes I can imagine so what aspects of your pitch resonated with LPs if I am quite like black and white about it many of the people that we approach for um, funding were quite frank that they had never had a black founder pitch to them. So they'd not even had a meeting with a black founder. Wow. It just proved our case essentially that they need to be seeded in order to get to the stage where they could get investment from them. Yeah. So we, we kind of existed as a, like, a conduit, I would say, almost like a football academy where we had the scope, we had the tentacles, we had the contact with the black founder community. They plugged into us. We were able to provide that pipeline and that deal flow for them to ultimately invest in these businesses. Mm, definitely. And therefore, during those conversations, what was some of the the feedback that you got that you found uh, particularly useful? Yeah, so I would say that we came into VC quite green and we did a lot of learning on the job. Mm -hmm. um, one of the benefits of that is the fact that we came in with no ego. Mm -hmm. So we were open to hear and take on as much advice as possible. But in taking that advice, you also have to learn because not everything will work. So I think one of our strengths is the fact that we've got a very good core of people that we can go to with mentors, people that we can ask for advice. So whenever we do receive information, we will cross-reference that with our team, especially because we are almost like the first of our kind in terms of a Black-led VC for Black founders. So nobody has done it before. So people can give advice from a theoretical standpoint, but not from a practical one. So there's yeah. certain areas where we had to trust our gut and our intuition and what we felt like Black founders needed over their experience in VC and come to that happy medium. Mm -hmm. And... How difficult was it to build those relationships with your LPs? How did you successfully manage to, to build those relationships over time? You never know where the money actually will come from. Mm -hmm. So people might have prospects and think the money is definitely going to come from here. But it could be from someone who was totally unassuming, somebody who you might have not targeted when you walked into the room. So it's a numbers yeah. game, like speaking to everybody, especially at the beginning. So you can figure out who you feel like would be value-wise. And also making sure you maintain relationships with the people that you get no's from. Because mm -hmm. it might be a not now. So keeping those relationships clean. If you don't get the outcome that you wish to, make sure that the lines of communication are still open, that you still check in, you still go for coffees. But it is really a numbers game and making sure that you're speaking to everybody. Mm -hmm. Carl, who's one of the co-founders, he's brilliant at networking and I've learned so much from him. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of out-of-office stuff that we had to do as well. Though he did come in with a network of his own, which helped. But it's the informal places where people build deep connections. Mm -hmm. So you might think that going to a networking event and, and meeting somebody there might be the best place to network. But ultimately, it's out-of-office that you build those relationships relationships you know so trying to get to know people on a personal level and like bringing yourself to those meetings and not just your decks because people buy into people and not products so there's mm. a huge piece of that just coming with your whole self to those meetings and connecting with people as people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes definitely and and therefore is there any other advice as well you would you would like to share with emerging managers uh, listening to the podcast i would definitely say make sure that you're clear on your vision i think especially within our remit, it's 
easy to be incredibly broad but the fact that we were able to narrow down on who exactly we are serving it made it easier for us to know who we want to get money from and for the investors to know what they want to put their money into so being very clear on like your thesis I think the investment thesis that's very very important not allowing the no's to de-energize you almost see it as a step closer to the yes so oftentimes when we're on our like 60th no we're like yeah we're literally one more closer to the yes and just (laughs) allow to fuel you you have to have a level of delusion (laughs) you're in this business just so you don't lose heart so I definitely would say that consistency being clear on your investment thesis and just being really true and authentic to yourself I love it and I can see that these are the words of the real survivor (laughs) 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 so shifting the gears to your investments Since you are one of the earliest backers for Black Founders, what in particular do you look for in the funding team? So at the early stage, we understand that these founders might come with these ideas, but then might have to pivot. Mm -hmm. So we we are looking to connect with the founder. We often talk about backing the surfer over the wave. If that founder is able to relay like a hunger for the problem that they're solving and that founder fit and the relationship that they have with the issue that they're solving for, because that will decide for how long they would be willing to commit to get into Mm -hmm. the outcome. And yeah, how easily they might be deterred pursuing or persevering so definitely bringing themselves and like making sure that they can articulate and tell their story well the storytelling piece is huge especially at this level so you are selling an idea essentially so being able to tell that story well is important and if you aren't the salesperson get a co-founder who is can't you can't do it without that story yes Yes, definitely. So what's your focus now? When are you planning to do that final close? I mean, one thing about us is that we just can't afford to never not be raising. So we are constantly raising. (laughs) That's just never not happening. So we're really excited about being able to write those first tickets and to close out the remainder as soon as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Have you made any investments as part of this first close already? Or are you still looking for your first deal? Not yet, but we do have a huge pipeline. No one should be deterred by that. Should be still reaching uh, reaching out to you. So how can founders, Yvonne, get in touch with you? Via our website and our social media pages. So our website is Mm blackseed.ventures. So if you just submit your deck via our Airtable link and review it via that way, that would be great. Okay, amazing. This was great. I'm really looking forward to following you and again big congratulations for for making this first close happen thank you thank you for having me Agatha do you know a female founder a builder or an investor with a great story to share get in touch at 3.0 at femalefoundry.co thanks for listening 